the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 183. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast and that's not it you can share our show on social media or with your friends and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on itunes all of this helps our little show immensely and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts now on to the show hi sandra good morning how are you how are things in austin things are Pretty good, actually. I yeah. I mean, I ain't got no complaints right now. Um, yeah, yeah. Life is um, okay, you know. Again, considering the container that we're all in right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, It's a the smoke is going away over here. I know I've been talking about the fire so much every episode, but it's just this real thing, Sandra. It's real. Yeah. It's. reality yeah and just absorbing that in your body physically every day is very uh it's just a reminder you know of what's going on in the world on on top of everything else so I'm just trying to stay grounded and using my grounding exercises and trying to do my routines that make me feel grounded and um but yeah but life is chugging along I'm a really um just trying to get into like work mode, you know, and creating this, I mean, I'm going to be supporting myself. Um, Yeah. I'm going to be supporting myself period. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to work really hard on everything and get systems in place and, and just, you know, all the little, you know, it, you do it. You're a creative entrepreneur, all of the little things that link to this, to that, to payment systems, to learning how to do a fresh books to learning how to do, you know, all of these little things that we do that aren't the things that we make, right. But they're the things that we have to do to have this business. Sure. Yeah. Administration, the which moving I'm parts, not yeah. the best part. I, that's not my favorite part um, no, at not, all. It's not mine at either. All. And mm-hmm. I find myself sitting at the computer more and more and more and not making, and that is making me a little, uh, twitchy, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I have those every, you know, month or couple of months. I, yeah, yeah I feel, um, yeah, there's like, okay, what I need to reprioritize because first and foremost, 
I am a maker. (laughs) I am a creative person. I am not a secretary. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's no quicker way to suck the joy out of my life than, you know, if I'm <laughs> I thought you said fuck the joy. You said suck that the joy. or that, but Sorry. <laughs> I said suck the joy, but yes, yes, or that out of my life, then yeah, if I'm just uh, an administrator and mm. I am not uh, a maker. So, you know, that's always the fine line I find when I'm trying to um, I don't know, up level or, or whatever. I always get pulled back to, you know, I'm a maker and Mm -hmm. that is the definition of success for me is, you know, if I have joined my work, then I'm successful. Um, now of course we need to be paid for that too. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a line to walk for me for sure. But yeah. And I, it's in my wheelhouse and it's, I used to be a legal secretary and I do like that type of thing. I mean, I shouldn't say it's not that I even like it. It's just part of me. It's just something that I do. That's that I, um, I do well, but I'm finding it's absorbing a lot of my time lately. And I know that maybe once all these things are in place, it'll help things run smoothly. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I I think I read a post of yours, so I think we're on the same page here, but is this, 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 this is the time of year I start thinking about January. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, I'm already thinking about the next year. I'm already thinking about this year, what has happened. I'm already thinking like, this is the time, October, November, December, what am I going to finish? What am I going to start for next year? What am I, you know, so there's like that incubation period right now. Um, so I know that all of these systems and computer stuff will all, uh, it won't go away, but it'll, it'll mellow out a little bit. But I don't know, the, the, I don't know, fall, that seasonal shift for me, it definitely hit. And I was like, okay, I got to get my shit. As my friend tells me, get your shit tight. <laughs> Just True. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I came to a slightly different realization. I took a four-day weekend. I, I still had client calls and, um, and that, but, you know, for me, I, I could actually work every day, right? <laughs> you know, and especially now in the pandemic where there's just not a lot of vacationing happening around here Well, that. And the fact that we, you know, just spent quite a bit of money remodeling a house, but you know, I could work every day. I like my work, you know? So it's like, what's the harm, but there yeah. is harm, you know, like I have to, um, <clears throat> I have to, to pull back some days and I have to, to, you know, intentionally build in some days off, Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, I just don't burn out. Well, you've helped me with that a lot over the last, um, well, from our time working together, Sandra, you've had clearer boundaries, um, about your time, um, because you have two children and Mm -hmm. Chloe was younger when we started this. And I know that after five o'clock was kind of like, we don't, I don't really communicate with you usually too much after five o'clock um, or the weekends. Mm-hmm. And um, now that we do our weekend calls for the unruffled, where we, we meet up on Sundays at nine. Um, but I have been working because of my life situation. Um, and my son is older and I don't, I don't have a younger, a younger child. I work seven days a week. And recently these last few months, I'm trying to not work on the weekend. I'm trying not to work after five o'clock and you have kind of modeled that for me. And so I've been like trying to have more boundaries around it and trying to remove things. Um, so yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And, and also like you just said, and 
take take a break, take four days to be with your mom or to to um, be with your family or go on a hike or you know yeah just be off of the computer and off of work mode. Um, I do feel like I have to catch up a little bit on Sunday nights because Sunday used to be my day where I'd kind of just work through all of Sunday. Um, and I'm okay with that, that adjustment. If it's, I'm going to get used to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Yeah. Plus it just does something to your outlook. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Oh, speaking of outlook, we have yes. a beautiful guest on the podcast today. Um, we do. Yeah. We have our friend, Michelle and, um, yeah, we met Michelle. Uh, I met Michelle through uh, my Proof of Life project, and she's also part of our community, um, which we have a beautiful community, Sandra. Oh, the I best. just, it, it really is. I mean, we should five, high five each other more often. <laughs> We should. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Over the, over the community that we've built on Facebook, mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. a secret Facebook group and it is the, it's the most solution-based just space. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's all cheery, positive rainbows all the time, but it is a solution-based drama-free mm-hmm. group of women. I love and- Yep. I, um, I, our sweet listeners, I posted last night, um, was my wedding anniversary and the, the responses that I got from those women, I've read every single one. I'm going to go back today and post and respond. It was the love I needed yesterday. And I guess that's what I was asking for when I posted, I guess I didn't go into it thinking, Oh, I want a bunch of responses. I just was sharing my heart yesterday and the beauty that came back to me tenfold. And I'm really grateful for that, that we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I posted one thing, but that happens to every woman that posts on there. Someone responds with something helpful, a solution, a shared story, a me too, kind of like, it's beautiful. So if any of our listeners want to be included in our secret Facebook group, you can send Sandra or myself a message on Facebook um, to add you as a friend. We have to do that first. And then to add you to the group, if you just send us a little note and a, a DM, we'll do that for you. Yeah. And b- through that, we have Sunday uh, get unruffled is what we're calling them. Zoom sobriety support meetings on every Sunday morning at nine Pacific, 11 central and 12 Eastern. It's for one hour. And the group of women there are just really beautiful souls. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, this will, we talk about it a little bit in the, in the interview, but women are recovering all kinds of different ways. So it's, you know, it's not a 12 step meeting. It's, it's, um, we, we, uh, accept, you know, there's all kinds of pathways to recovery and it's just a really, um, so again, solution-based uplifting supportive meeting. Yeah. And Sandra and I kind of host it kind of like we host this podcast. And so there is a little bit of crosstalk and there's a little bit where we kind of, you know, or people um, add some comments in the chat to help someone out. Mm -hmm. I just love it. I just think Mm -hmm. it's really beautiful. It's very organic how it's all kind of unfolded. We haven't had a whole lot to do with it other than we set up a zoom meeting and we're there and it it has done its own thing. Yep. Which I really love, which I really love. Um, do you want to read about and introduce Michelle? Sure, sure. So Michelle Nicole is a grateful recovering woman who got clean in 1992 at 19 years old. 
She has spent over half her life in 12-step recovery and is still actively involved. She loves photography and all things crafty. She is a seeker of inner peace, wisdom, and wonder, and uses her camera words and creativity to seek and go deeper. She is currently building space on her property to honor her creativity and spirituality. Yeah. And you guys can find Michelle on Instagram at, and it's grateful seeker. It's G R the number eight F U L S E E K E R. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Yeah. Enjoy Michelle. Good morning, ladies. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. Good morning, Michelle. I'm super excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. We get to see you usually on a weekly basis. So it's just, this is a fun new thing we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. A little extension of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, tell our listeners where we're chatting to you from. I am in Bend, Oregon. Oh, and how long have you lived there, Michelle? We have been here seven, 18 years. 18 wow. years this year. And I, I am originally from California, California girl, grew up in Santa Rosa and uh, lived in the Bay Area for a while and then migrated north to have a slower pace of life. Oh, we would have yeah. been, we would have been neighbors. I know. Or we actually kind of were for a little while. I've lived here for tw- uh, 19 years. So just a little, little spell we would have lived. We would have lived yeah, each other. Yeah. I, I always love seeing your post, Tammy, because I can relate to some of the places that you spend time, the Russian mm. River and Bodega Bay, a lot of memories there. Oh, yeah. Mm. And Michelle, I have a friend that lives in Bend and so offline, I'm going to remember to ask you if you know her. Because oh, how, how, how large is Bend? Um, well, we're getting close to a hundred thousand people at this point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You may not, but anyway, I'm going to remember to ask you. Yeah. (laughs) Still small world. Oh, well, um, Michelle, we, we, Sandra uh, mentioned that we get to chat with you on Sundays in our unruffled podcast, uh, secret Facebook group meetings that we have on zoom, which we've been doing uh, since the pandemic started on Sundays, every Sunday. And you have been such a beautiful presence in those meetings and sharing your experience, strength, and hope and in our unruffled secret Facebook group. So we wanted to have you on to just chat because we, we kind of just love your whole energy and, um, we, you recently helped us out with the recovery gals art exchange helped kind of organize the last theme, which was woman manifest. And I just feel really grateful that you've come into our lives and just, I feel like you're an important part of this community. Thank you. I, I feel the same. I actually got introduced to you guys last year. I was at a retreat uh, with Pixie light horse and one of the women at the retreat uh, was a member of the unruffled and had done the art exchange and, we really connected and, and that's how I met you ladies. Aww. She actually gifted me uh, your gratitude um, journal that you have, Tammy. So I have Aww. that. That was, that was how I first met you ladies. And I did my first art exchange last year. So um, that's so and cool. it's, it's been, I know it's been a beautiful addition to my life and my recovery and uh, really opened my heart and mind to so many different ways of, of finding recovery. Yes. And I want to dig into that specifically. So let's put a pin in that. Yeah. Um, 
Michelle, because uh, I want to come back to that. But first, why don't you tell our listeners like how you came to came to sobriety? How, how, how long have you been in recovery? Yeah, so I, um, I was an early bloomer. I, I started um, drinking and smoking weed and using pills in uh, middle school at 13 years old. Mm. And, um, you know, I kind of came into this world feeling really out of place. And so when I got introduced to substances, well, sugar was my first, honestly, sugar was my first love. Um, but then when I got introduced to additional substances, um, I just kind of found a way out in my life uh, to not feel, to not care, uh, to live recklessly. And so by the time I was 18, I was, I was pretty much every day using some substance to try and escape and uh, not feel. And New Year's Eve, 1990, I'll remember it for the rest of my life, a dear friend of mine, pulled me aside. Um, I was in a, uh, a drunken stupor for sure. <laughs> and he said, you know, I think you have a problem and there's another way to live. And um, he offered to take me to my first 12-step meeting. That was January of 1990, so over 30 years ago. And, um, and that experience, going to my very first 12-step meeting, really changed my life. It uh, planted a seed. It gave me hope. It, um, I remember at my first meeting, just feeling, I'm feeling the love for, for one of, of the, the fellowship and in the rooms and, um, and hearing, you know, I don't remember how much I actually heard that day, but what I received that day was just this love that I'd been seeking in all the wrong places up until then. And I just had hope for the first time in my life that maybe there was truly another way to live my life. Now that wasn't, that wasn't the end for me. Um, I went to a few meetings and, um, and, and then thought I could um, regulate. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> as I think many of us do. Uh, some of my friends, you know, I was a teenager. A lot of my friends said, Oh, you just need to learn when to say, when <laughs> you just need to know when to stop, have better boundaries. Well, then I just ended up in bushes and closets and cars and other places because I, I didn't want to stop when people thought I should. How old were you at this point, Michelle? 18. 18. Okay. Wow. What an amazing, like, I never had that friend that, you know, I never had that friend. We were all in revelry together. You know, I'd never had that friend that had some, I don't know, modicum of, of moderation or, whatever that friend had of yeah. yours, Michelle, that could actually be so observant and then be so kind and compassionate as to offer that to you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a life-changing moment for me and, uh, you and I are still friends today. And, and, uh, mm. you know, I, I often on my recovery anniversary, thank him for, for seeing in me something I couldn't and helping me find a path to a different way to live. Right. Now I'm curious, did 12 step, like, did it, when it started working for you um, and you started getting some momentum, did you actually, did you think you had a problem with 
drugs and alcohol or was there something about being in a place where you felt like you belonged? Was that like the pool? Because I I guess, because you're just so, you were so young and that's so, such a mystery to me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I've, you know, that that's been a big part of my journey over the years of, of the, am I question, right? That's, that's the little voice that's still in my head, right? Am I, am I an alcoholic? Am I an addict? Like that voice still loves to talk to me because I was so young. Um, and, but, but by the point that I finally made the decision to, to truly stop, um, I was regularly a blackout drinker. Um, I was, um, I never got into like really hard drugs, but I had an addiction to pills. Um, I'd had a, a major knee surgery due to a sports injury in high school and got really addicted to painkillers. So the mix of kind of, and I was, I was a downer girl. I was, I have depression. And so um, I tended to seek things that sunk me deeper into the dark hole kind of fed that yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and and my preference was to not remember right I didn't want to remember the shameful and embarrassing things I did so I tended to always black out because then I didn't have to I didn't have to feel any of those feelings of shame Mm -hmm. um and so by the end it was pretty regular in my life and um you know as I, as I've, you know, been clean and sober now for uh, 28 years over, over this time, I've kind of investigated that more and more. And what I know today is that I, you know, I don't, I don't really care if sure <laughs> that sounds weird at this no. point, I'm like the, the, my, my big, so here's my question that I always ask myself is the, what if, so what's the worst thing that happens if I continue on this life journey of, of, of sobriety, right? What's the worst thing that happens if I continue my journey of the 12 steps? Well, the only thing I can come up with is, is that I have to feel right. That's, that's it. That's the only thing when I fill in that blank, it's feelings. I have to deal with the feelings and sometimes they're overwhelming and not fun. They always pass, but they're there. And if I go out and test the waters to find out, you know, could I, could I have better boundaries now? <laughs> you know, I could lose so much. I could lose my mm-hmm. marriage. I could lose the relationship I have with my daughter. Who's never, who's never seen me, um, in an altered state other than from surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I could lose so much. I could lose all of the spiritual principles that I've gained, the integrity, the, um, who I am. And that's just too much to risk to me today. Um, and so I stay, you know, that feelings are when, when I look at that, that scale of, of what ifs I'll take the feelings any day. Right. And, you know, and there's other indicators in my life that, that I'm clearly an addict and have an addictive personality. Um, my credit card debt is one, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> my relationship with food and sugar is one, you know, I mean, so I can just soak, you know, anytime I take on a new, we talk about creativity, you know, so much. And anytime I take on a new creative pursuit, I can't just buy one paintbrush and one, (laughs) right. (laughs) One is never enough. You know, um, I have to, I, I, I signed up for Tammy's proof of life course and I literally bought every supply (laughs) that's recommended. (laughs) So, Like I have all these clear indicators that 
they have an addictive personality. Um, so I just find it better to stay. And I receive so much from being a member of the 12 step community and other recovery communities that it's unlike anything I had before, you know, I didn't have real friendship, true, uh, I had a couple people that are still in my life today. I can't, I can't say I didn't have any, but um, for the most part, it wasn't deep and meaningful relationships. Right. Because it is hard to bond on any kind of deeper level when you're not hard. It's like virtually impossible yeah. to yeah. bond on any kind of also, you know, deeper level. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's so inspirational, Michelle, that you, um, that you did find recovery so young, you know, and that you can, I'm sure you are probably a fantastic, um, woman to work with when you're guiding women, I'm sure through the 12 steps and that your experience, strength and hope from, um, being so young, I have, I have some younger women in my life that I work with and it's a gift. And I, I always go, Oh, I feel so, um, it's not envy. It's, uh, it's sometimes it's longing that I wish I could have figured something out a little sooner. You know, it doesn't stay for very long because my path is my path. I understand that, but I just feel like, you know, unlocking that door and finding another way, um, is really beautiful. And to do that, um, in your twenties, you know, or uh, yeah, I was, I wasn't thinking about that in my twenties at all. No. And, and, you know, for you, Michelle too, it could have been a complete sliding door situation. You know, you could have that friend that, you know, offered to take you to your first 12 step meeting, you could have said, I don't think so. Uh, you know, and (laughs) you'd have just been well on your way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, that, that experience, like what I try and remind people is, is that, you know, cause I watch a lot, I've watched a lot of people come and go. And I always think about that. Like there is a seed that gets planted, whether or not somebody comes to one meeting or, you know, or, or even, even all the, you know, I mean, when I, so this is back in the nineties, right. There wasn't a plethora of, of, um, recovery alternatives, right. There were 12 step meetings and there were a couple, you know, recovery, uh, centers were starting to pop up and kind of get momentum, but, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it is today, right. Like today there's so many alternative options that are, and and there wasn't, I mean, in the, in the 90s, anonymity was still really like, people weren't open to hearing about recovery. It was not shameful, but I really protected my anonymity back then because the stigma was real. Stigma was real. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah. It, it was real. So, so it, it, it took a long time to come to a place. I mean, there's still people in my life today who don't know that I'm in mm-hmm. recovery. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that's steeped, you know, the anonymity aspect is steeped in 12 step and I, and I get it and it's in the traditions and I, I understand it. Um, I watched a movie early on in my recovery called the anonymous people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really helped me kind of shift how I thought it was before I went into the rooms, I believe. Um, but it helped me kind of shift about recovering out loud, helping another person, um, breaking the shame and stigma that was kind of attached to it. That seemed um, like something that I wanted, 
Yeah. Um, and I get to have both. I get to do my program the way I do my program. Um, and I feel like I do it with integrity. So I feel I don't, I'm not in conflict with that. Um, others might be, I don't know. No one's really ever pointed that out too much to me. Um, but it is such a personal choice. And I think that's what the 12 steps teaches me is that I get to make my own choices, yes. my own program and the own way that I get to live my life. Yes, sure. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the longer that I stay and the more, and the older that I get, <laughs> mm-hmm. the less I think I care. Um, you know. Isn't that just Isn't that interesting? magical how that, yeah. how that happens? <laughs> yeah. I, I just turned 49 on, on Monday and uh, you know, it's like this, this freedom that's coming with aging and um and yet there is still this little piece of me that feels the need to, um, to still protect myself to some extent, mm, yeah. because I know there's still people out there who don't, who don't see it as a positive thing. Right. Right. Absolutely. And you are, that's from where you came. And yep, so, absolutely. yeah, yeah. And I get that. I totally get that. I, I want to talk a little bit about, so you touched on at the beginning about, you know, what our group the unruffled Facebook group, how that kind of opened your eyes, um, to seeing how other, you know, how some women recover, like the other ways that, that women recover. I would love for you, um, to talk a little bit about that, Michelle. Yeah. So, you know, I, so when I finally, when I finally made the choice to, to be in recovery, so my, uh, my clean dates, eight thirteen ninety two. So it took me two more tries. <laughs> mm-hmm. It did take me a little bit while longer. I was, I was 19, almost, just getting ready to turn 20, uh, when I finally got here. So, and surrendered. Um, and so there was a real, um, kind of, you know, there's, there was kind of an old school mentality back then of like, you pick a path, you make a commitment, commitment and you, and you participate hundred percent, right? There's lots of different 12 step programs out there. Um, but there was a real, um, at least in the Bay area where I, where I, um, got clean, um, sense of, um, pride in, in participation, right. Of being a member of being fully committed, of having service commitments, of being a sponsor of doing all those things. And so, you know, I think that I was kind of raised in that mentality. Um, you know, language was important between the two. Pro- yeah, and there's, uh, for anybody who's not involved in, in 12 step, there are 12 steps and then there are 12 traditions that, um, that guide the unity of the fellowship, right? And there's, and, and those were, I worked the 12 steps and the 12 traditions um, every year for my first five years of recovery. Um, And so that was really ingrained into me of the importance of our traditions and how to maintain unity and the importance of language and how to respect if I was at a different 12 step meeting, how to respect their fellowship and to um, encourage other people to honor that. So, you know, I just, I, I grew up in my recovery in this um, very, one lane, one, one way 
choice uh, mentality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I have, you know, so, so then there was, a, there's been a lot of like internal conflict for me throughout my recovery as more and more recovery homes became available. And like, they weren't teaching, they were using the 12 steps, but they weren't talking about the traditions and, and encouraging their, um, you know, we're not a fit, they're not, there's no affiliation, right? The, the local recovery houses or um, sober living communities, they're not affiliated with the 12 step communities, although there's cross participation. So, so people would come to meetings and, and, um, and use the wrong verbiage. And there'd be like this tingling in my spine of like, oh, they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I was, I was, I was a, a, a tradition person, you know, it was important okay. to me. I was taught the importance of that. So like, I get this prickly feeling. So as, as the years have gone by, and probably in the last, I don't know, it feels like maybe seven years there's been this blooming of other alternatives in recovery, right? People are writing more books. It kind of, I, I don't know. I remember like when A Million Little Pieces came out. I don't know if you guys remember when that book came out, but yeah. that was like, that's kind of the first big one that I remember where somebody like pulled the, I mean, there's been movies and stuff, but that book kind of pulled the covers off recovery. And, and then there was shame attached to that because of the author's choices. Anyway, um, since there there was this like blossoming of things, people started writing books and then the internet started being more of a way for people to get connected around recovery. And um, I remember, you know, uh, finding out about She Recovers and the retreats and things like that. And, And just all these different things started to kind of blossom. Different people were writing books, people were talking about different ways, people were talking about not needing the 12 steps and being able, and you know, that to me was like, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How in the world can anyone do this without the love and support and guidance of the 12 steps? And, And I started talking to people who had these really negative experiences with the 12 steps, which wasn't mine, right? I walked into these rooms and I felt love and no, not from everybody, right? I had people make comments to me when I first came in because I was 19 of, oh, I, I drink more than you spilled, little girl. You're not done. You'll be back in 20 years. I mean, I had people say that to me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I had people, and, and I was a rebel. So I was like, oh, I'm going to show you, old man. <laughs> you know? Right. So thank goodness for my rebel streak, because I think in the early days that kept me here. Um, but I started hearing stories from people who weren't having the same experience that I'd had in, in 12 step. And, 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 and at first, I'll, honestly, it was really hard for me to think that there could be any other way because mm-hmm. this was all I knew. And, and, um, and so, you know, I started dabbling in different things. I, I was, uh, you know, considering doing some of the retreats that were out there and, um, and, and yet there was still things that like just didn't fit for me. I didn't, all the other groups that were out there I couldn't resonate and I, I participate. I was kind of um, hanging around on the periphery, watching, listening. Occasionally I'd make a comment on a Facebook group, share my experience, strength and hope, but always kind of feeling like an outsider in those places. And then I got introduced to, to your group and the unruffled group. And, and that really shifted something for me. Um, 
there was an openness in the unruffled community about all ways of finding um, recovery from whatever, right? Whatever, whatever you're struggling from. And there was a, um, there was just a different level of acceptance that I saw and felt within the posts that would happen. And then of course, when um, the pandemic started this year and, and you guys started hosting the calls and kind of just the, the compassion and, and kindness and the calls. And it just really opened my heart up to like, there isn't just one way anymore. You know, maybe, maybe in 1992, there was really one way, but mm -hmm. today in 2020, there's options for people and, um, and any way that you can find your path to changing and surrendering and living your authentic life, like I'm all for that. You know, and I mean, the 12 steps for me is still my foundation. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, I'm, right. I'm a committed member. I sponsor, I don't know, 13 women. Um, wow. I love the journey through the steps. I, I still work the steps today. I still have a sponsor. I um, secretary a meeting. I go to five meetings a week. Like I love my recovery. Yeah. But I also love these beautiful additions that have happened to my life as a result of opening my mind and my heart to different paths. Mm, that literally gave me little chill bumps. I love mm -hmm. that, Michelle. And I love watching you come to the, you can almost see like the light bulbs kind of going off <laughs> around you kind of coming to these realizations. Um, you know, just when I've seen you on zoom calls, I just love that. And I love how, I mean, I think recovery just gives everyone a chance to open their minds, like gradually open their minds to other things. And it might not just be other paths to recovery, but all kinds of, yeah. of, of, you know, judgments that we've like clung to, um, you know, it's that, um, what is the phrase from the big book? Um, um, contempt prior to investigation on mm -hmm. everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was just the baseline for me. Right. Just I hate everything, even though I've never tried it. <laughs> and, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that there aren't still times where I see people struggling who I know aren't, don't participate in 12-step recovery, where I think, why don't you just try and see if it'll help you? <laughs> like, yeah. sure. And, and for me, I think, um, for me, what, what I love about 12-step recovery is is that there are, there are clear, it's just a clear set of guidance for me, right? Like I have a clear path that I can take. I can get a sponsor. I can go to meetings. I can be of service. I work these 12 steps. Like there's, if I follow it as recommended, then like I have this just clear path for me. So, mm -hmm. so sometimes I do wonder like, well, why don't you try it? Like, what is your, what is your resistance to trying it or being affiliated with it? Cause I think that that just like there was some stigma back 
in the day when, when I first got here, I think that same stigma is still here about participating in 12 step that it like, mm-hmm. like that there's, yeah. um, like if you're just saying you're, um, alcohol free, that's different than acknowledging that you're an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I too, you know, am, I get a little confused by people as well who have a lot to say about 12 step that have never tried it, you know, like, uh, should right. just, I don't know, maybe before yeah. you form those opinions, right. Try anything. I, I have to take that all with a grain of salt too, for, for people that have attended, you know, two meetings and have a lot of opinions. Right. Um, that's fine. It's their opinions and they're entitled to, to have them. But, um, but there's others who have really gone through it, gone through the steps. And then they come to these decisions and these opinions and they think like, this is not for me. And I respect that too. I, I respect both. I just have a harder time. Um, it's like me going off on refuge recovery after I've been to approximately two meetings, which is how many I've been to. So it's like me really kind of getting on a bandwagon for that and kind of bashing it. I don't, I don't have the energy or the inclination. I have no desire. It didn't resonate for me. Refuge didn't. Um, I know that a lot of other people really dig it. Um, so, but I'm not going to go on a crusade bashing refuge. Right. And, and I think that that's, what's kind of opened my mind this last year, right. Is like, so the 12 steps work for me and they've, they've gifted me this beautiful life and this, you know, um, so much discovery and, you know, uncovery about who I am. And, you know, I've done, uh, I mean, over the years, I, and I, I grew up, my mom was super spiritual. We were always doing, um, like she took me when I was, I think, seven years old to see Gerald Jampolsky, who wrote Love is, uh, the language of letting go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so my mom was always like, she's always been on a spiritual path. So I like learned about stuff early on. And so I've done tons of things outside of recovery. And, and, you know, as I've sought my spiritual connection as well, cause I didn't resonate with religion. Um, you know, so I've tried lots of things. So, you know, I've had to have that same, like you were talking about Tammy, like not bashing that for some people, this is working, just being alcohol free is working and, mm-hmm. and they're changing their lives and they're feeling different and they're, you know, they're receiving some of the same benefits that, that I receive. So why, why judge it? I don't want to be judged for choosing the 12 steps as a path in my life. So why do I need to judge someone else for whatever they, however they find their own personal, um, spiritual journey? Mm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. kind of, um, so, I hear this a lot. It's been a big one for me this year. <laughs> it took some time. <laughs> well, I think, I think there's something in the big book and I might, again, I'm not a big book quote her all the time, but just, um, there's your business and none of my business. There's two types of business, right? (laughs) Yours. And, uh, my, my, I mean, my business and none of my business is the thing. And (laughs) that's what I meant to say. See, I can't quote it. Um, but knowing that really does help keep me in my lane, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think I can have more acceptance. The more I learn about recovery, I'm learning there's a lot of people that the rooms are very triggering for that have, um, you know, trauma and that have had prior right. trauma in their lives and that going to the rooms is very triggering and that it can't be for them. It's not for them. I have compassion for those people. I wish that they could come into that room and sit in that circle with me, but they can't. Right. And I'm not going to judge them because, um, because something happened to them that triggered that, 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 that can't be for them. 
that that is now no longer a, uh, something that they can grab onto and use as a tool. That's not for me. And I think those rooms, you know, um, we're, what, what did someone say once in my room? We're not here because we're well. And to try to have compassion for other people and their path, I try to remember that. Um, but I have to say, Michelle, it's super refreshing to know that you have the length of sobriety that you have and that you are open-minded because that's also what they teach us in the program, right? Honest, open-minded and willing. And to be open-minded, still have what you believe in and what you're, what you're obviously you're steeped in your 12-step program and it completely works for you. But even to be open to come into our group, right? And to, to have, um, and to learn, still be open to learn from others that are doing it differently. Like that's kind of a big deal. I don't see a lot of long term. Um, well, I, I don't know that, you know, that's a judgment on my part. I don't know what people are doing, but sometimes it feels in meetings, people who have, you know, three plus decades of sobriety. Sometimes it feels like it's a lot of fear talk about um, staying with the fellowship and staying with 12 step or you're going to die or going on talks like, well, go out and try, you know, maybe there's another drink in you. And people say that I just can't stand it. And I just, I don't like that talk. You know what I mean? And so to have, know that you have this length of sobriety and that you're open-minded is really beautiful. It's not, mm. it's not what, it's not been my experience in the rooms. Yeah. And you know, I think so much of that just goes back to, I mean, it was, it really was different 20 years ago in the rooms. Like the the, the thing I missed the most, I mean, this is going to sound strange, but one of the things I missed the most of, of late in the last seven to 10 years, as all these uh, alternatives have popped up and, and not just alternatives, but like the courts getting more involved and, and programs. I mean, gosh, just in my little town, there's, I don't know, probably 10 different alternatives of, of programs and things. Sober living communities. And but what's happened, what I have witnessed is that people don't come in with desperation anymore, right? When, when, um, and so people are coming in like they're, the courts are intervening or families are intervening or people are intervening. And so people are kind of coming into recovery at a place of um, reluctance, like, okay, well, I have to do this. The courts are telling me I have to do this. This program's telling me I have to do this. My family's telling me I have to do this. And so, you know, I always hope that the seed gets planted in those moments, but, but what, what you saw a lot more in the eighties and the nineties was people were walking into the rooms in desperation. And so there was a different, <clears throat> there was a different, um, like there was a work work the steps or die mentality. It was like, this is it. This is our last alternative. Nothing else is gonna good is going to happen if I walk back out those doors at this point. And so you just, there was, there was a different energy back then. There was a different like, and anybody who got clean at that time resonates with this, you know, and talks about this because it was our last hope. You know, we, but you know, Michelle, I think we can only have the, the only way we can explain that is because people are recovering out loud, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Because Absolutely. people are showing the, you know, publicly that there's another way to live, that you don't yes. have to be 
you don't have to come in on your knees completely and, you know, in complete desperation. Absolutely. You, you can, but it does off. seem to take people longer though. <laughs> this yeah. new, on this new way of living recovery out loud, what I witness is people relapse a lot more because they, they haven't really hit a bottom yet. Right. They're hearing about it. People are hearing about recovery more. They're hearing about living life without drugs or alcohol And so they'll dabble, they kind of come back and forth. There's that, like this, you know, we were talking about, I feel like it was in one of the unruffle calls recently where people were talking about their, whether or not they acknowledge a a date um, for for their recovery. Like not everybody feels like they need to have it. Like for me, August 13th is like my, it's my birthday. It's more important to me than my belly button birthday at this point in my life, right? Like that day was was the day that I chose to live, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like not everybody feels a need to, you know, so it's like this, ca- it's, it's almost more casual, like well, I'm gonna live without alcohol and well, I went 60 days and I'm gonna have a drink and oh, it's really still not working. So now I'm gonna come back. And and so it's just this like, and that is so hard for me to understand. Cause for me, it was like, I was all or nothing. Like there was no, There was, there was just no, like, I didn't have boundaries with alcohol. Yeah. Well, that brings us to like the spectrum, right? So there is this alcohol use disorder spectrum. And so that people are falling on different um, phases of that spectrum. And I get you about the all or nothing. I mean, I wish when I talk about this now and what I've learned recently from Jolene Park and just from doing all of these interviews with women that I did in 2017 and doing this podcast with Sandra is that I wish for me, um, instead of future tripping, I'm going to go backwards, right? I wish that I did know the term gray area drinking. I wish I did know something that you can get off before the elevator hits the bottom. Like I wish Mm -hmm. that people were talking about that because I think, um, I might not have taken it as far as I took it and kind of beating myself up for all the years that I did and shaming myself quietly, you know, in my head every night when I would wake up in the middle of the night, like, and I, and I know that Sandra and I talk about, you know, you don't necessarily, the bottom can be a feeling. It doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, where I went to. I wish that I could have listened to that feeling because I had it for years and years and years. And so what I think is really hopeful is that, um, and I understand that picking a date is a thing, you know, that I hold on to. It's very important to me. Numbers are very important to me. Anniversaries are very important to me. Milestones are important to me. Um, but not, but it's not for everybody. You it's know? not for everybody. Right. And that's again, one of those things I'm learning this year. And, and, you know, I'd say that, that one of the things that my hope is, is, is that, is that there's less wreckage in people's lives, right? Like yeah. that people are coming in. And so, yeah, maybe there, maybe it takes them five years versus five months to get it right yeah. or whatever whatever it takes what it takes but um but hopefully there's less damage right damage to the children to to other people in their lives to their family members to themselves to their community you know less loss of lives to drunk driving and 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 things of that nature right i mean that's perhaps the gift of of all of these new you know gray area drinking the spectrum the um, you know, all these new, op- you know, people living, living their recovery out loud. And, um, 
hopefully it'll cause less damage in people's lives. Right. Right. Because I think that, I mean, to your point, I think that's, that is, that is something I wish I had known as well. Like that you could, you know, you could try and maybe fail, but keep trying, you know, like just the, the awareness, like, you know, we always say you can't unlearn what you've learned. You can't unknow what you know. So just the point of trying and failing, I think, yeah, I probably would have caused a lot less damage along the way. Had I, you know, even if I had some relapses along the way, as long as I was still showing up and trying. And my relapse, you know, I mean, like, I can't have judgment on people who come and go. I, I, I didn't stay the first time I walked through the doors, right? My, my second relapse was, was the point for me of surrender, right? It was the greatest gift in my, on my recovery journey was that last yeah. use. Um, I'd had 10 months, I'd, I'd come in and, and had put together 10 months and um, had started working the steps and had a sponsor and there was a him and you know, I relapsed one night and that was it. That was for me, that was like, oh, I don't ever want to feel this again, ever. I'd had enough recovery in me at that point to know that getting high wasn't going to fix it anymore. Yeah. And I, I think too, I mean, sometimes when we're in these um, communities and people are um, in recovery and they have days and months and years behind them. Um, of course, we don't want to forget. That's why we share our stories. Right. But I think what reminds me, and I, I don't, I don't wish for this, but when it happens, I too know that it's a gift. Um, you know, I've, I've had women in my program die mm-hmm. and, um, I, I am reminded often that, um, this is a fucking crazy, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you want to call it a disease, you want to call it whatever it is, malady. Uh, it's not fucking around. Nope. And it's great to go for me to get to go to a yoga retreat. And it's great for me to get to have a spiritual teacher and read books by Pixie Lighthorse and do the things that I do. Um, but that's not, that's not the deal for some people, right? Especially in the beginning when they're just trying to hang on to a couple of days. And seeing women come into the room year after year, month after month, um, announcing themselves as newcomers, it breaks my heart. And it also reminds me that this is not just some fad. Sobriety isn't just a fad. Like it's like people are fighting for their lives. And so I get it. I get that it's, we want, after I had my son, I said this statement in bed, like after we had him for like seven days and we brought him home, you know. And I told my husband at the time, I said, cause I didn't, I wasn't ready to be a mom, but in the, in that seven days postpartum, I said, I wish this feeling on everyone, Steve, this kind of love that I feel right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I just, I wish that for sobriety. Like I wish that on everyone. I wish the people that are having a hard time, um, I wish it for them. And I know that there's not a goddamn thing I can do about that. Right. It's going to be up to them. Well, now with that, that love you're talking about, that's what I felt when I walked through the doors the very first time. And I don't know why I was lucky enough to feel that, but maybe it was the timing or where I was at in my life, but I needed that love so bad. And, and that's what I felt here. And, you know, you said something a minute ago, Tammy, when you were talking about where you're drinking about being able to stop just knowing it's a feeling. And I think 
that kind of goes back to Sandra, you'd asked me earlier because I was so young and that's really what it was, you know, I, I, somewhere deep in my soul, I knew that this, that, that the path that I was on wasn't going to go anywhere good. And I, you know, I hadn't lost anything, right? I mean, I was 19 years old, right? I hadn't been arrested. I didn't have anything to lose except boyfriends that weren't worth anything. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't able to invest in relationships. Um, you know, I was, my family and I were, were okay. Um, but it was that feeling was just this, I have these two paths in front of me. I can keep drinking and, and using drugs and numbing out, or I can take this other path that feels like love and, and hope and growth and, and, you know, I'm so grateful. I felt the love when I walked into my first meeting. I'm, I'm, my gratitude is abundant for that feeling. Mm. It still gives me goosebumps. Every time I talk about the first time I went into a meeting, I get, I get goosebumps. And, um, you know, I remember the room. I was, I, I can remember everything about it. This old timer gave me his book and, mm. you know, it was just this magical, I don't know why it was just a magical moment in my life that planted the seed that, you know, two years later I was ready. Mm. I just love how much you love your recovery, Michelle. Yeah, same. I do. Well, they talk about that when we go in the rooms, right? You try to find someone that has what you want. And I didn't understand that um, initially in the rooms. I, I totally understand it now. And I see it from a lot of women in our community. I have what, or you have what I want. And it, it gives me hope and inspiration and to stay the course and to keep trying this thing. And, and for people who, who aren't getting it, um, or whatever, I mean, that sounds, I don't mean it like that. God, that. Take those words back who it's not resonating with who it hasn't stuck yet. That's what I mean. Keep trying, like just keep trying because uh, just like you said, Michelle, like two years later, something, something clicked for you. Yeah. Right? And you know, I think being young in recovery, there's this whole other thing, right? I mean, I turned 21 in recovery. I had all these things that when I made the decision, um, to, to be a member of recovery. Like I had all these things I'd never done. I'd never had a legal drink in my life. I'd never, I mean, of course I'd been in bars and stuff with fake IDs, but I'd never had a legal drink. I'd never, um, you know, I thought about new year's Eve. I thought about, well, what about when I get married someday? I thought about like all these things of how? Right. You had a lot of milestones. To yeah. Like I was 19. Yeah. How am I going to live the rest of my life <laughs> without, you know, celebrating, right? Cause that's what I equated it to, right? It was like, my life is over. And I was very dramatic when I first got here. My, my um, first sponsor in recovery, Lynn actually happens to be my sponsor again today. We reconnected mm-hmm. um, uh, 10 years ago and she's been my sponsor again the last 10 years. So, um, so, but I was very dramatic, you know, it was like, how am I going to have fun? Like, how am I like, well, how would I dance? How would I have sex? Like all these things, right. I'd never done any of those things in my life, not intoxicated. So, you know, it was this big, like I, 
and and to some extent I felt like I missed out on my 20s right like what people do in their 20s right going to the city and going to the clubs like I didn't do any of that because I didn't feel safe um there were sober people doing it right there were young people in recovery going together up to the city but I didn't trust myself it was that whole you know go to a what is it sit in a barber shop long enough you get a haircut um right. you know I was afraid and I would find myself being envious if I was in those environments I'd you know it took me a long time to be okay being around alcohol um luckily my family nobody in my family um both my parents aren't active drinkers. Um, they came from alcoholic families. So they kind of both took this other path of, and my sister's like normal, doesn't drink. Um, I think my sister's been drunk like once in her life. So I was like the rebel in my family. Um, and so, you know, I was able to avoid being around it for the most part, but if I was in, and in my job, if I was traveling for business or at business functions, it's like everybody's drinking and, you know, here I am with my Diet Coke or, you know, it was, it was, um, it took a long time to feel safe in those environments for me. So, so my twenties kind of like passed by in this uneventful way to some extent, you know, I had to learn how to have fun and recovery. I did a lot of conventions in early recovery and, you know, went to every dance and event and, you know, um, and, and tried to figure out how to have, have fun and recovery, you know, cause there was, there was definitely something that I was longing for and not fulfilling by, by choosing a sober path so young, you know, now I don't care, but, but in my twenties, <laughs> it was hard, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Oh, but Michelle, I love, I just love, um, how open you are. And again, that's just, um, that's what happened in, in these calls that we've been seeing you on and kind of getting to know you better through proof of life class and through the recovery gals art exchange. It's just, um, your willingness to be of service to other women and to share. Um, so honestly, it's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. And, uh, I think that's why, I mean, that's part of the 12th step as we, we share the message, um, you know, with another, and it's really, that's what this show is all about. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, that's, that's why I said, yes, you know, I, um, I loved, I, I could, I could honestly talk about recovery every day, all day. I mean, I, I just, there's so many gifts and blessings that have come to my life and, you know, I love the, the tools that I have in my toolbox. I love the, um, the people that have, come and gone in my life and, and, uh, you know, the experiences and, you know, long, long-term recovery comes with a lot of, you know, the, the, they talk about that the path gets narrower the longer you stay, right? Like, as you know, it, it, there's less and less people who got clean when you got clean and, and it, it just gets mm. narrower and, and more, more, a little more intimate personally, I think, as I've stayed clean longer and, and, um, and yet I just still have this abundant, like, I'll, I'll share, if anybody wants to know, like, I'll share it with them because if it can help them in any way, I just know how much it helped me in so many ways that like, if, if even one little tiny piece of my story helps somebody, you know, I, 
lately I've been talking a lot about my depression and, and kind of coming out about that. You know I mean? I think mm -hmm. that's another one of those things that just doesn't get talked about enough. And a woman that was a good friend of mine in recovery took her own life two years ago. And, mm -hmm. um, and her last post was like depression hurt. She said, depression is not contagious. Mm -hmm. I think I, I might be misquoting her, but like, I, I loved that reminder that like, you know, my, my dis-ease in my life, my addiction, my, um, my depression, it's, it's not contagious. It's not something to be afraid of. It's, um, it makes me who I am. And, and it, um, and it's made me stronger, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, and you know, Michelle, I think just, you know, being a witness to you, I think your path is actually opening up. I don't see your path as getting narrower. Yeah. Mm. Oh, um, I have to just jump in here really quickly uh, and make a 10th step amends. <laughs> I can't continue this interview with, that, with the phrase that I said that <laughs> someone didn't get it. Um, that's just ringing in my ears that that was the wrong language. Um, mm. It's the same as like, it takes what it takes is what I meant, kind of. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um, getting it isn't a, a character defect or not, or I, I don't know. I just feel super sloppy with that language. So I just want to, I just, I didn't mean it that way. Um, and it is the 10th month. So let's do some 10th stuff work, right, Michelle? <laughs> Make amends as soon as it, as soon as it happens. Um, right. I mean, isn't that one of the beautiful things though? I mean, thank you for that, Tammy. Cause yeah. you know, the, the longer I stay clean, the less I can sit with something that doesn't, you know, yeah, it doesn't feel good inside. Like, it, oh, I would take that with me all the way to Monday to when this airs and then right. I would take it through the week. And, but that's not what I meant. That was sloppy language yeah. on my part. Yeah. Um, but I know we're, we're getting towards the end of our, our time together, Michelle, but I, I do want to kind of transition if we can into talking about your creativity, because I think you're a super creative person. I know that it really lights you up. I know that you, um, I get to work with you as, a, um, you know, in relation with you during the proof of life project last summer. Um, and, uh, this year, is that right? That's correct. No, I didn't do last summer. Oh, this is my do first time doing proof of life. I'm sorry. I have some people that are doing it twice. Yes, okay. Twice. Um, so you're doing it this year and I get to be in like zoom calls with you and whatnot. And I know mm -hmm. that you're building like a beautiful place that you're going to be moving for your spiritual practices and your creative practices. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your creativity looks like for our listeners and how you channel that and also what you're, what you're building and creating? Yeah. So, you know, creativity for me, um, I remember as a little girl, my mom like saying to me that she'd wish she'd pulled me out of public school and put me in an alternative school where they honored creativity more. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a right brain person. I'm a, I, I'm not analytical. I'm not technical. I'm not, you know, I can take classes. Um, but, but those types of things just tend not to, to stick for me. Like I, um, I struggle with, I love photography, but I struggle with the technical elements of photography. Um, and, um, but I love, love, love. Photography is probably one of my, my favorite creative paths um, 
for myself. But over the years, I've, I just love trying new things. And I love um, experimenting with, with different um, artistic modalities. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know, I can't remember a time in my life when I wasn't doing something creative. I was laughing earlier about like, I can see my addiction in, in, in all ways in my life. Cause every time I've taken on some new creative hobby, <laughs> it, it like, I have to buy all the things, <laughs> you know? So like, I'm, I'm a knitter and I have all this yarn, but honestly, all I can knit is scarves and hats. I've never gotten beyond scarves and hats <laughs> and blankets. Hey, that's like, pretty good. Yeah. I can, I can knit and I can furl. <laughs> that's, that's, your, that's what you specialize in. That's you spend that. <laughs> exactly. You know, and for years I've done beadwork and I've done, um, I've, you know, this year I've started to explore painting. I've always loved collaging, always as far back as I can remember. I love um, collaging and, and making, um, you know, I think I've been making vision boards since I was in high school. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I love uh, making God, you know, God boxes and stuff. It's one of the things in, in uh, recovery that a lot of people use to, you know, put things you want to surrender or whatnot into. I love doing things like that. And, um, and I don't know, I, I've just always felt a need to express myself creatively. Um, but never, you know, I've tried at one point I had considered starting a photography business. Um, I shouldn't say I considered it. I did start a photography business called visual healing and, my goal was to help women through photography and intimate portrait work see themselves. Mm. Um, and unfortunately for financial reasons, I, I, didn't, I didn't kind of continue on that path and it just became too much doing my day job um, and trying to do photography on the side. It was just overwhelming for me. So um, someday that, that will probably come back to me because that there's, there's something there that really resonates to me about how through seeing ourselves, we can heal that, you know, the body image. Um, yeah. And that so many of us women that self-loathing for our, for our uh, bodies. So, um, so photography has always kind of been one of the main things. And, and I think I uh, shared with you guys that this last year, I took part in the 100 day hundred day project. Um, and I, my, uh, modality was photography and I love nature photography. I love, I'm often on the ground trying to get just the angle I want laying there with my mm -hmm. camera, um, you know, close to mother nature and, um, you know, trying to get that shot. And, and that's probably what, what speaks to me the most is, um, is my photography, but I've been loving exploring so many different things. I took up macrame again last year. And, uh, I mean, you name it, I think I've tried it needle felting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, yeah, one of the, one of the ladies in the unruffled does, um, punch needling. And I thought, Ooh, that looks cool. And she's like, yeah, you can use all your extra yarn. I'm like, well, I've got plenty of that. So I bought the supplies <laughs> this year to punch needle. And <laughs> so, um, you know, I just love, so, Anyway, so this year with everything that's been going on, I've worked from home for over 20 years and, 
and we have a smaller home and, and with everything going on with the pandemic this year, my husband's home, my daughter's home. Um, and, and I work in a corporate environment, um, my day job. And, um, so we decided this year to build me a, it started out as a she shed. It has turned into a she palace. Mm-hmm, uh, I love it. <laughs> which, which may get renamed to a she sanctuary. I don't know. I can't, I can't decide what the name is going to be, yeah. but palace is, I'm, I'm all right? for palace. Palace has been working for me. I've been using palace for about a month now. Uh-huh. This lovely 12 by 24 space that will, will have nice. my, my office in it, but my office will be like, you know, just one little corner of the room will be my office. And then the rest of the space is going to be devoted to my spiritual practice and creativity. And um, I'm really, I'm so excited about it. Um, Cause I've missed having, you know, in, in my house right now, it's like, anytime I want to work on something creatively, it's like, I set it up on a folding table and I have to like push it out of the way at the end of the night. Like I can't, or I have to pack everything up or, um, so I'm really looking forward to having a space that can have creativity laid out in front of me and not have to be packed away at the end of each day. Um, uh, looking forward to sewing more and, you know, cause all those things just like right now, it takes so much effort to do them. I have to take everything out and, you know, set it all up and then put it all away at the end of each day. And, um, yeah, it can get in the way sometimes, right? Yeah. Too, obviously, we can do it. I love when Sharon Walters talked about how she does her paper cutting, like on her couch at night, on her living room or on her dining room table. Right. You know, I mean, not dining room. Her living. Uh, what is that called? Uh, <laughs> coffee table or coffee something. Table. Yeah. yeah. Hello. And, hey, I, and I do a lot of that. I have a folding table in the living room right now. I've, yeah. You know, yeah. I've been I've been doing my magazine, pulling things out, filing them away, and. Um, but I'm really looking forward just to having, yeah. and I haven't had, you know, my spiritual practices last year has really suffered because I haven't had a space. I just haven't had space for it. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I need space for it, but I feel like I need, I need space. You know, you do need space for it. And he, and I, I think this is one of the things I've seen come out of the pandemic is that women, because there's been, it's crowded at home now with everybody yeah. at home, that women are like either claiming or reclaiming either a room of their own or a corner of their own or some, yeah. I mean, because we do, we, we are worth it. We do deserve right. to have a, a space that is separate. Yeah. So I am like, I am so excited. It is, it's, you know, I, I've um, talked a lot this year about how 2020 has, has for me been about surrender and acceptance and patience. Like those have been my big three things this year about just like constantly having to readjust and like nothing happens in the timing I want it to. And, you know, just this um, embracing of, you know, all that 2020 has brought to our table. Um, and so it's getting close. It's getting close. I was hoping it was going to be done for my birthday. So I could have put a nice big bow on the front door, but (laughs) I'm thinking maybe by Thanksgiving. So, you know, in the month of gratitude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's my Christmas mother's day and birthday present this year. So I'm, and I've been, I've been involved in the whole process of building it, which has been creative as well. Like my husband is building it for me, which has been the most beautiful gift to receive from him. And, 
um, has really brought us closer together. And <clears throat> I've been learning all about, I get to go out and help with power tools and put on my tool belt and help build things. And um, that's, that's been really, really beautiful part of the, the journey as well as connecting us deeper this year. So, oh. and the metaphor of building your own house is very yeah. strong for recovery, right? That foundation, oh, yeah. the walls and that you're doing all this. It's beautiful, Michelle. Yeah. It's beautiful. So it's yes. pretty exciting. Oh, well, we got to wrap it up here. I think you have places to be, right? Yeah. And we, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we want to you ask know, you though about the, your toolbox. So this is the part of the show where we um, ask, you know, what's in your either creativity or your recovery toolbox that might help our listeners um, learn a little bit from you. What, 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 what works for you? Yeah. You and I, you know, I think I've talked about all three of them during, during our time together, but my number one thing is remaining willing to grow um, no matter what. Like I do not have all the answers. Uh, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, but I am all, you know, just this year alone, I've learned so much about from other people about different ways to recover and remaining open to that and willing. And even in my own recovery, continuing to continuing to do the work, continuing to work steps. And each time I work steps, I grow. Um, you know, and, and remaining willing to stay in the feelings. And, uh, you know, for me, that's, that's kind of a no matter what thing, like I just stay. Um, so that's my number one thing, remaining willing to grow. Uh, my second thing in my toolbox is, um, is learning from others um, through, you know, in recovery, it's through sponsorship, both being sponsored and sponsoring women. Um, and, and trying out different things. You know, last summer I did uh, bear camp with Pixie Lighthorse. I've taken some of her other courses, her literature, like, oh gosh, Pixie's books. If you haven't read Pixie's books, Tammy, I know you're a huge fan, but mm -hmm. oh, her books just like speak to my soul. Yeah. And uh, I'm lucky enough, Pixie lives in my town and That's cool. <laughs> in the next town over. So I, I get to bump into her in, in, uh, in town and, you know, doing things like proof of life, like, I've learned so much about myself this year through the proof of life course. And, mm. um, you know, a part of, you know, part of, uh, having my, this, this palace come to life is like being able, this is going to be part of my proof of life, right? Like a space to have my ritual and routines in and that's mine. And that, um, you know, that I can keep clean and that I can honor and, and to witness my, my journey as a woman. So I'm, I'm super excited about that and how that kind of connects together. Um, so learning from others. And then my third thing is, is mother nature. Uh, that's, that's kind of in my creative and spiritual toolbox. Um, man, I do these things that I call find the wonder <laughs> reset walks. Um, mm. If I'm having a bad day, if I'm, if I'm feeling off, if I'm struggling, I don't care what the weather is. If I can get out in nature and take a walk and find that little thing, it just resets me, you know, whether it's a ladybug on a flower or watching bumblebees pollinate or, you know, the way the dew is on a, a blade of grass, um, the moon and the sun are, are always inspirations to me. Um, but, but that has been part of my spiritual practice for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I think it really started when I was a kid, probably with my mom, my mom and I would take walks together in nature. 
and find these little magic things. Um, so that's, that's, you know, just grounding to the earth. That's my spiritual uh, connection mm. is, is mm. absolutely mother nature is, is my other higher power, if you will. <laughs> mm. Oh, I love that. So Aww. yeah. So. Michelle, I love your positivity and your openness. You just really radiate. You really do. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm so honored to be a part of the Unruffled community and to have found you guys, you know, Jen, Jen brought me to you and I'm extremely grateful to her. And, mm. and I just feel such a deep connection. I cannot wait for this pandemic to be over so I can have tea with you ladies. I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't care where you're going on your first retreat. Just know that I want to see wherever we're going, whether it's international in the States, <laughs> That's right. there, it's happening, right? I cannot wait to sit in a room with you both. And I can't I like to hug you both like I know. oh man do I miss hugs I do too <sighs> I can't wait to wear one of Sandra's caftans and hug all the oh. ladies <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> have a dance party and man. yes yes I cannot yes. wait for that either it's, it's happening. happening, right, Sandra? It's, it's it is happening. Absolutely. It is happening. It's just happening. It's yeah, it's on a different timeline, but it is happening. <laughs> and I'll, I'll help. Just let me know. I love to do event planning. So <laughs> count me in. And right. <laughs> I'm writing that down right now. It's in my wheelhouse. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Michelle, for coming on and being so open and, and honest and um, sharing with our community. Grateful for you. Absolutely. The feeling is mutual. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.